Hey, this is Marina, and you're listening to Sober Baby, a show about how the one thing I have to change is everything. Every Friday, I invite you to hang out with me and my guests on Instagram Live as we talk about addiction, sobriety, and everything in between. It's like by the phone. Okay, you ready? Is it five? Yeah. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> um, it's kind of been one of those days, to be honest, but we're just going to give it a few minutes. Hi, everyone who's joining us. Hello. We have matching hair today. Me and my mom, we both have curly hairs. Um, yeah. I hope everyone's having a good day. It's been like, honestly, I'm going to try not to soar this episode. Hmm? I'm going to try not to swear this episode. No way. I'm, I'm going to not swear. Um, okay. But just for the record, I didn't bring any clothing at all to my mom's house. So I'm wearing my mom's shirt, um, which says, rock and roll mom. <laughs> so just in case y'all are wondering what I'm wearing today, it is Daytona Bike Week, and I'm a rock and roll mom. <laughs> um... <laughs> And we have matching curly hair, which is kind of cool. Anyways, it's really good to see everyone. And Jenny, I just want to apologize in advance. Um, these mics are not on mic stands, so we're just gonna we're just gonna do the best we can. Um, and I know I said I had a surprise this week. It was gonna be that my hair was gonna be colored, but my hairdresser convinced me out of it for good reasons because she was like, "It's gonna destroy your hair." So. Um, no brightly colored hair for me today, but we still do have a surprise, which is way better. Um, and it is that next week sometime, um, we're going to be doing a sorry giveaway of free therapy. My mom has kindly, um, gifted sober baby free therapy sessions. So we're going to be doing a giveaway for all of y'all who, um, might be in the market for a therapist, um, or might just need a little extra mental health support. Yeah, you're tapping my leg. What? I know. Oh, can I add something? Yeah, please. Okay, so what I was going to add is, um, like, more of a, like a consult, if you will, right? Well, we haven't decided if it's going to be like... Okay. I don't know. We'll figure it out. All right. Sorry for this, like, little sidebar talk. Um, whatever it is, it is, and I'm happy to do it, so... What are you talking about? This sidebar talk is Sober Baby, season two, episode eight. Oh. Like, this is the whole thing. Oh, okay. You thought I was just, like, shooting the shit over here? Shooting the shit. Okay, that's one. That's two. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I hope everyone's had a good week. I had a really weird week, and this is what... It's just, like, kicks my butt this week. Um, but thank you for everyone who submitted questions. I'm really happy to be on Sober Baby with my mom right now. <laughs> um, it is a sidebar, sidecar conversation of an afternoon... I've been wearing the same shorts for three days. I don't know what to tell you guys. Some days are easier than others when you're sober. Um, but all days sober are better than any day that I was in active addiction. So what are you drinking? Perrier. Of course. No ice, probably room temperature. Mm -hmm. So this is what we're going to do this episode. Um, <laughs> why are you giggling? Did you spill? No. Did you inhale it? No, you made me laugh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um... We are going to answer some questions that you guys asked us and um, also just like kind of not pick up where we left off because la the last time you were on Sober Baby was pretty funny. 
In the hotel room? Yeah, and I gave you yeah, a, that I was gave like, you a Mother's Day I couldn't gift. even watch it after we taped it. <laughs> you were just like, oh, I love recycled shoelaces. I was? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? I, like, hand-wrapped this in special rope. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I do like recycled products, shoelaces included. Um, yeah, I'm also just having one of those days where I just don't really like how I look. So just w- listen to this one on Spotify and... It's okay. Um, Wait, can we talk about my skirt? Yeah. Okay. Enough of your hair. Okay. <laughs> so I'm wearing a, um, a star mesh skirt um, for Halloween, obviously, but it used to be Marina's, and she no longer wanted it, so she gifted it to me. Yeah. So. It was one of those things where I was like, yeah, thank you so much for this skirt. I love it so much. Three years later, never wore it. Um, so now it's yours now, and it looks great on you. Um but yeah, if you're here and you're watching this live, uh, definitely drop your questions in the chat. Um, my mom is showing up in this space as my mom, obviously, and also as a mental health professional. And I just wanted to say thanks for making some time on your Friday and rearranging some people and, you know, mm-hmm. being here and being present. Yep. Okay. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you want to be on the show right now? Hmm? Do, you, do you want to be on the show right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, I do, but, you know, I'm anxious because I'm kind of a reserved person. Yeah. So let's just get going. Okay, we're going to get going. So one of the first questions. <laughs> get that, up. Um, can you open up your phone? Sure. Okay. Um, bro, this Mercury retrograde, though. <sighs> okay. Let's start with, I, do you want to answer this question? Or no? Oh, well, yeah, we can answer all of them. Um, okay, go ahead. You can say it. Yeah, because I was thinking of starting with that. Okay, yeah. So so um, someone was wondering what your... <clears throat> first of all, like, what is your job title? I don't even know. Oh. No, I'm being serious. You know what I am. I mean, you're a therapist, but, like, yeah. what is oh. your, like, what's your title? So I'm a licensed professional counselor which I keep active. That's a license from Connecticut. Okay. And then, so I live in Florida, so I had to go back to grad school to get licensed here because um, they don't um, accept licenses from other states that they believe don't Mm. meet criterion for being a professional. Anyway, so here I'm a licensed mental health counselor. Cool. And what's your specialty? Um, Death, grief, loss, trauma, crisis. Um, yeah, pretty much. All of my favorite things. Yeah. Um, I always thought that growing up, my mom, uh, wore black all the time because she worked in such a depressing field, but then I just realized it's because she's a Scorpio. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. It would just be like so depressing, but like not like, it's just, it's, it's like really amazing that we have so many, um, people in this world who are dedicated to helping people live and also helping people deal with death. And like, I think it's really profound that you've chosen to support people managing their grief and their like struggles with living. I mean, that's, that's difficult. Um, so one of the first questions that was submitted was like, what is your theoretical orientation? And I think part of that is maybe from the person who asked that, maybe they're also in the mental health profession and they're kind of wondering which schools you fall into Okay. Um, I don't really 
honestly care, I guess, what your theoretical orientation of it, it. I hope it's a good one, and I know it is, but. Yeah, so I, I guess you can say that. So I've been in the field for, I, I think, just about under 30 years. So, you know, you learn all these theories, and I think you just kind of grasp at ones that you believe work for a specific individual. Mm. So I am a trained, if you will, um, psychotherapist. And I very much um, identify with the DSM. Sorry, I just thought. I just thought maybe we should put that there. Yeah, maybe you can just hold it like <laughs> like this. <laughs> so you were trained in the DSM. Do you have the DSM here? It's in my car. So it's kind of like my Bible. So we're getting sidetracked. No, we're here. Um, so anyway, so I have a a lot of uh, things that I I pull from. You know, everybody's different. Different things um, work for different people, and so you have to be really flexible and kind of like meet whoever whoever you're working with. You have to meet them at their level, like emotionally, you know, um, mentally, physically, all of that. But I use a lot of CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, pretty popular. Um, so it's about, it's called like the cognitive triangle, and it's like, Thoughts determine feelings, determine actions, determines, and it's this whole kind of like triangle. Um, so use that a lot. I use motivational motivational interviewing a lot, which is a technique I use for people that I work that have addiction. Um, I use some gestalt um, techniques like mindfulness. I'm very much into like mindfulness and like really being present in the here and now, which gestalt therapy reinforces. Um, I'm not any, any one theory, I'm pretty eclectic um, in my approach and kind of like just go with, with what is needed at the time. Mm. Um, and I'm a big believer in choice theory, meaning that I do believe that people have the ability to make choices, you know, unless they have an impairment that doesn't allow them to. Um, so, for example, if somebody was in a situation that was you know, they, did, they didn't like and it wasn't safe, um, then choice theory would kind of swing back on, back on that person and say, you know, you have choices um, about what you do at your, about your current situation. And um, I don't know if that's always applicable to people with addictions. Um, I think you really have to meet that person exactly where they're at in that moment mm -hmm. and um, be with them. So um, You're so cool. That's so, so cool. cool. You are I'm so, so cool. I'm so kind. I'm so intelligent. You are. No, I that's, love... a, that's a quote from a movie. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, you have to watch the movie. Okay, yeah. I mean, I think it's really cool because I don't. I know you mostly as like my mom. Like my mom has never done therapy on me. You know what I mean? Like I hear sometimes about it or like you know, uh, in like a professional and non-disclosing way. Like, how was your day at work? You know what I mean? But like, it's really interesting. I'm gonna start with my question selfishly because. I've struggled most, or let me flip it the other way. The therapist that has made the biggest impact on me was a therapist who had the same experience, experiences that I did. Mm -hmm. They didn't reveal that they were an addict to me until the end of our therapy sessions, right? Like mm -hmm. at, only at the end of our like 30 fucking sessions. Whoops, ugh, that's two. I have to like put a little quarter in the... Only after we were done did she, did she kind of like reveal to me, you know, I also am sober. And I was just like, well, that makes so much sense because this therapy was amazing. Like I felt understood. I felt related to. And so my question is, do you think to be a really effective therapist, you have to have the same 
you have to have lived experience that your patient or your client does? Mm. Um, I would say no directly. No. No. Mm -mm. I think they have to be um, worldly, and I mean worldly in the sense of their thinking, of their training, um, highly diverse, um, highly skilled, highly trained. Um, but, you know, I mean, in therapy, you know, if, you could, if there's a relatedness factor with something that a client says, you know, in, in therapy, I do share with them right. things. I mean, I don't, I don't make the session about me, but I'm like, yeah, I get that. Um, you know, been there. You know, I'm, we're human, and I think people forget that therapists are human, and um, mm. we have to kind of start there, you know. Um, no ruby slippers, I always say. But Yeah, I guess I just, like, mm. don't want a therapist that is an expert in addiction, and I was going to get a new therapist recently, but I just, I was like, if you're not an addict and you just study addiction, how are you really going to, how are you really going to understand me? You know, and maybe if they had someone who they were related to who was, but I just feel like if you don't have a lived experience with addiction, it, you can empathize to an extent, just like with anything that is a major identifier for someone. Like if you aren't uh, queer, like you can empathize to a certain extent, but you don't really know what that is. And I feel like for me, it's really important to be understood and not like pathologized, you know? Sure, sure, sure. So, yeah. So, I mean, regarding the DSM, you mean like like being diagnosed with something? Is that... Yeah. I mean, it's kind yeah. of crazy. Like, yeah. isn't addiction not even in the DSM? No, it, it is. It is. Um, but <clears throat> this is the thing. If you can look at the DSM as a guideline book, I, I mean, whenever anybody comes into the office, you know, they'll say to me, you know, I've been diagnosed with, you know, bipolar disorder and borderline and, and they'll have the, like this list and I'm like, okay, t just tell me what your symptoms are because that's what I focus on is the symptoms, you know, and then we'll, we'll, we can figure out a, a label and not a label like a diagnosis later because people really attach themselves to those. So I don't use those things like, um, so how are you managing your uh, bipolar disorder today? I don't talk about that. I'm like, you know, tell me about your mood and, mm. you know... Um, things of that sort. So, yeah, I also agree with that, and I know the DSM really kind of clicks that label, but um, it's kind of like the Bible for me, you know, um, like a guideline. Mm. Cool. Yeah, good to know. Um, okay, next question is... A lot of them are about substances and, like, um, addiction, obviously. I, a lot of people kind of were wondering, like, how... Like, what advice do you give to parents, cousins, family members of addicts? Um, yeah, I guess that's, like, a question. What advice would do you give to people who are surrounding an addict, especially if they're still, like, in active addiction? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I saw that question. I reviewed, I kind of skimmed through, though, I'm going to be honest here, last night, and um, there were a number, they all kind of stood out for me, but, you know, the first thing that I wanted to correct, and Marina, we actually, you actually um, pulled on that as well, so maybe you want to... Talk about it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, people are asking you these questions, but I will open it up by saying, like, something I've learned from you, and something I've learned just in general is... Um, I don't, I just don't believe in giving advice because advice is a way of saying, this is what I think you should do. Mm. Um, 
and I don't think that this person asked that question with that. Like, I think they were just asking this question. Um, but I'm really, really like mindful or I try to be sometimes I, I do give advice to people and I'm like, this is what I think you should do because I have all the answers and I'm smart and I figured it out. But I prefer to aim for feedback, which is I'm going to listen to you and then I'm just going to tell you back what you said to me. Or this is what it sounds like you're saying, which is like for me an attempt to try to understand people. <clears throat> I don't know. Is that I, I, like... No, I was like clearing my throat. That wasn't <clears throat> to you. No, I know. Like, I, I don't know. I guess, yeah. So that's how I feel about it. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. So maybe so, we could so... just change the question to like, how do you support family mm -hmm. members, friends, lovers, yeah. partners of people who are related to and in relationship with addicts? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's it. Right, because, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you can't fix people, right? You can only, and I, and I hate that term, because um, I don't even know what it means, but you can't fix anyone. You can only um, control what you do. And um, so with regards to what I would say to people that like come into my office and they're like, you know, my son's doing this, my daughter's doing this, and, and then they spend their entire session talking about the other person. And so, and it's a common thing that people do because, you know, maybe they're, I don't want to say you guys are desperate, but they really, they're just in a phase where they're like, I don't know what the hell to do here. So my, the number one thing to me is, you know, what can you do to increase your sense of connectiveness with others that may be experiencing some of the same feelings you are or going through the same mm. emotions? So, and I'm not, I'm not like trying to like, you know, sell any kind of support group here, but, um, they do work for a lot of people, not everybody. Um, I think another thing to keep in mind is self-care, okay? Self-care is self-love, and I tell everybody that. Self-care is not being selfish, okay? Um, so that's, like, critical because, um, you know, obviously, as you guys know, I have two children that are um, in recovery, and um, I also have other um, people in my world that are um, actively using. So, you know, I think you can only, I don't want to say you can only do so much for them because, you know, I used to fly back to Boston all the time when Milan wasn't doing well, um, you know, because I was petrified that she was going to die. And I think that's a lot of people's kind of like go-to. Like if, they, if somebody keeps on going down this path, they're going to end up, you know, not here anymore. Yeah. So I think listening if the person is open to having a dialogue I would say listening is the best thing that you can do for them if they want your advice or, or um, support you know let them know that you're available I use this phrase and it, it's a good phrase I think um, I'm here if you need me now you have to also remember that people that have addiction issues um, do not always reach out to others for support for lots of different reasons, you know, whatever it is, denial, I mean, you know, we can name a million defense mechanisms here, but um, <laughs> I think hearing what they're saying and then, and then repeating back to them, like paraphrasing what you believe you heard, validating their concerns. I mean, obviously, if you walk in a room and somebody's using, you're not going to be like, can I get you another drink, honey? Right? I don't mean validating like that, but, you know, hey, you know, looks like you look kind of tired and... You do want me to help you get into bed or, you know, what can I do to help you right now? 
Um, and I would be I would be really cautious. I think when you have family members that have um, addictions, um, it's pretty common. So um, be mindful of codependency. I have a link, and I think Marina can throw it in there for you. Mm -hmm. And they actually have an online support group. Again, I'm not promoting anything here. I'm just giving you information um, that I give to most to all family members. And then you get to decide what to do with the information. So it's CODA, so it's um, codependency. So be mindful about whether or not you believe you um, possess any um, traits um, that are codependent. And don't go and run and take a quiz, am I codependent? We'll give you the link to the place to go to. And then you can just read it, okay? Just read it and then leave it at that. And then you know what things that you can do to not... I don't want to say enable a person because, you know, when we see a loved one hurting, we want to just do this no matter, you know, we'll do anything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, self-care, um, detaching with love, that's something you learn in 12-step programs. Um, how do you do that? Um, really carefully and slowly and methodically. And just remember that I always say this statement, but practice makes permanent. So the more you practice something the more it's going to be a permanent part of who you are. So an example, when I wake up every morning, you know, I practice gratitude. So I'm like, you know, so I pray to my God. You know, like, dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this breath. Thank you for the people in this world. And that's something like that. But also being mindful of, like, um, I'm off track. Oh, no, yeah. this is great. I'm here for it. I feel like it. I just fell off track. I, okay, I mean, I can help you bring it back. All right, bring it back. Um... Self-care um, yeah. is just like this hot buzzword, right? In, in a sense, you know, it's like, oh, like I'm doing self-care. It's like, I think self-care is work. What I'm hearing you saying is like self-care isn't just like this thing that we're saying. It's mm -hmm. like actually setting aside time mm -hmm. to take care of oneself as mm -hmm. if we were taking care of someone else. I treat a ton right. of people with immense care. You know what I mean? My love languages are all over the board getting, picking up coffees for people and like doing nice things and making a meal. And it's like, when was the last time I made a meal for myself? When was the last time I took myself out for coffee? Solo dolo. You know what I mean? Like when was the last time I actually did something? And like recently to, for me, the answer is recently. Right. But I think like self-care sounds like a bubble bath, but actually I think self-care is, is a lot of other things as well. Mm -hmm. And sometimes self-care is a lot of work, um, which means for me, first and foremost, putting myself first, mm -hmm. putting myself first. Um, the other thing that I want to, can I add something? Mm -hmm. I know people are asking you as like a mental health professional. No, but I mean, I mean, you know, no, I mean, you're just as much of an I'm expert. a mental health professional in my own right. Yeah, um, you are. <laughs> I am a professional of my own mental health. And what I would say is, like, if you are related to or in love with or caring for um, an addict, it ranges from annoying to tragic. You know what I mean? Like, it really, it really, and I'm saying this as someone who has annoyed others, as someone who has desperately and longingly cared for people who I felt just so sad about and couldn't do anything... Um, it's, it's like this weird, it's not always bad, right? Sometimes it's just annoying. Sometimes it's just annoying to deal with an addict and it's like, be quiet. Why can't you just stop? You know what I mean? So what I would say, and this is something I didn't hear you say, but I know that 
you and I are in agreement about this is like boundary setting. You know, I had a whole conversation with my friend this morning about how setting boundaries is a way of honoring yourself. Right. And I'm borrowing this from like what I've learned from my friends, Corrine and Alexandra and Kiara, who were on season one, where it's like setting up a boundary for yourself and establishing a boundary is a way of like really, really loving yourself and taking care of yourself and being like, mm-hmm. no, like no is a complete sentence. And I'm saying this as someone who wish I had been said no to more. You know what I mean? I had a lot of people very graciously enable me. And I'm not, not talking about you. I'm talking about, you know, roommates and friends. Oh, and, like, I had a lot of people be very gracious with how manipulative and desperate I was to get drunk or high. And only in sobriety, when I reached out to those folks or when I attempted to, you know, make amends for harm I had done or, um, you know, realized what I was doing, did I also kind of, like, you know, come to come to the reality that these people had been very generous with me as I was being bratty and selfish and, um, and pretty inconsiderate, you know? Mm. Like, I just didn't realize that. And so I'm not saying to give your addict people a break, but, yo, when you're in it, you're in it. And it's very, very hard to see mm-hmm. outside of it. Absolutely. So, you know, I just want to piggyback on something yeah. that Marina said about boundaries. And so, you know, on this link that we'll send you, and again, I'm not assuming that anyone here has codependency issues, but most human beings do, <laughs> do. on some level um, because we're human. But, um, you know, that's it talks about boundary setting, obviously. Um, but there's this term, um, this phrase. If I if I attend Al-Anon meetings, I'll write down like really cool phrases that people say. And um, one person said one night, "My word is my bond," and I love that because that's like stamped in my head. I have two of them. My word is my bond, and that's a boundary thing, right? So if I say something, I mean it. All right. And this is the thing. If you say something with the intention of meaning it and then don't following through, guess what? Yeah. yeah. I'm just like... There's no boundary there. So, the you know, so the doors are wide open. Um, my bird is my wand. <laughs> Sorry. I was just thinking about that. I was just thinking of the witch on um, the Wizard of Oz. I couldn't think of her name. Not the one with the red shoes. The Wicked Witch of the West? Oh, the good one. Oh, Glenda. <laughs> my bird is my wand. My word is my bond. Yo, I don't know if I can say that, to be honest, because my word has just been a weak, a weak little tooth bond that just snapped right off as soon as... Oh, my God, that sounds like a negative statement here. Gosh, Marina. I'm just saying. Um, so, we, so, we, yeah, yeah, you can finish, and then someone has a question. Oh, no, let them go. Okay, it's okay if you don't want to get to this, but I'm wondering what to do when you're trying to care for someone, a friend, who's struggling, but they don't really react well to the enforcing of boundaries. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I All mean, right. damn. So that's a really, really good question. That's a great question. Um, hmm. Well, this is the great thing about life, right? So in life, you have choices. And within these choices, you have options, right? So I always say to people, look at what your options and choices are because if, if you have a, an important person, no matter, well, or even a, you know, a person that you know and that you, you're trying to help out and they're not responding well, 
then th there isn't a whole lot more that you can always do. But one thing that I do tell people is if you're ever concerned about a person that is using um, you, and again, I'm not encouraging you to call the police, but you can call 911 and say that you need a wellness check at, your, at this address. I do it all the time. Um, so, and again, it's just a friendly visit. How you doing? You know, got a phone call, just doing a check-in with you. That's all it is. And if they're not doing well, that is a way for them to enter into help. Um, and it's not a manipulative way either because the intent was to do a wellness check um, out of concern. Um, I don't but does a police officer with, like, guns and shit show up? Because that would make me feel very unwell. Okay. All right. So, like I'm saying, like, I'm just thinking of, like, um, somebody I know went out to dinner with them, with other people, and I don't normally count what people drink because I really don't care. I only care what, if I, what I put in my body. Um, but I think I counted 12 to, like, 17 drinks in the night. And, um, I mean, that would be, to me, that's a very concerning thing. Right. Um, so, you know, I stayed up with them that night and if anything went wrong, I wouldn't hesitate to call 911 and that would be kind of like a gateway into at least being assessed and going through detox and having a little bit of support. And again, it's, it's detaching with love. That's what, how I consider that. It's not like trying to get them in trouble or anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think you and I... I don't know if I answered the question appropriately. Yeah. No? No, I mean, I think you and I diverge a bit on the cop thing. I mean, y'all know how I feel about the cops, but I would say that, like, um, yeah, I think what this person asking is, like, if there's a boundary being established, this person internalizes it and tends to spiral further. And I guess what I would say about that is, like, oh, oh, I do I not generally do well with authority. I generally have a very easily bruised ego when someone mm -hmm. tells me I've done, I've messed up. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't. I love that you put your glasses on. I can't deal with their. Yeah, they're saying that, like, they can't deal with their stuff on top of their own. Like, people are having a negative reaction to a boundary being set. And what I would say is, that's well, their that's, stuff. That's what we were just talking about. You have choices. Do you want to remain friends with this person? Um, you know, is this something that you can manage in your world, right? Um, that's a lot of work. You know, if you set up a boundary and somebody rejects it, Okay, so I'm not pretending like this is the, you know, phrase all, but a lot of times people reject boundaries um, because then it doesn't allow them to have, con like, perceived control over their world. Um, and it also um, allows them to stay kind of in this um, web of a cycle, right? So in addiction, people do go through cycles. Um, not everybody, but most people that I know. Mm -hmm. So... Right. So I don't know if that, is that helpful? Is that, is that kind of I like further elaborating? I don't know if I'm answering your question still. It's okay. Again, I, I don't, the, when these questions pop up, I typically need a lot of information. So I'm kind of like no, it's rambling. Okay. You're doing great. If you can open your phone, we'll hit the next question. I think like as someone who doesn't, who certainly rejected people's boundaries, you know, like when I was really deep in my eating disorder, I had a lot of friends approach me about caring for me and also being like, I don't know if I can, you know, um, 
you know, support you in the way that you're asking for support because it's reinforcing your eating disorder. And I totally like rejected these people's care and also like their prioritization of their um, mental health over mine because I was just dragging these people into this really kind of toxic eating disorder. Um, and they were all very, again, gracious and did not play into anything that I kind of said. They were just like, okay, you know, like, and let me have my little tantrum, right? And so where are you going? I need some water. Okay. So what I would say is, um, yeah, like it, it's going to play out. Um, as a brief interlude, I will tell you a fun story about this bar behind me. Um, one time in like my first round of sobriety, uh, it was like around Christmas time and I was sober and I was just telling my mom this today and I forgot about this until I got sober this time. Um, but there was this box of chocolates that had like some liqueur in them and there were probably like 30 chocolates in there like those lint balls right but inside it had alcohol in it and I was like I'm sober like this isn't gonna like be anything bad and I had like one of them and then throughout the entire like night and into the next day I just came back to the bar and ate all of the alcoholic chocolates because I was like maybe I'll feel something on this one but like it doesn't count because it's chocolate right and just, like, realizing that even in my first, like, stint of sobriety, I was so desperate to get a buzz that I was eating all of the chocolate liqueur things. Like, damn. You know? Damn. Anyways, that's my fun story about this bar. Okay. This is a great question. Um, it's a hard one. Well, it's, it's, it's a long story, but, but let's, I can try to answer it in okay. like two sentences. If you turn to substances during a bout of anxiety or depression, is that a signifier of addiction? So perhaps said differently, if you use substances to manage your mental health, is that a signifier of addiction? Can I have that question, Oh, please? yeah, of course. Okay. So I'm going to try to be brief but to the point. So, okay, so I don't know you, so I can't fully answer that question because I don't know you. That's okay. It's for everyone. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, like so. What? It's anonymous. I know. Okay. Yeah, I know. Okay. So, you know, it, it's funny because I was thinking about this question last night and then started doing all this research um, because that's where these questions take me. And I think it's a really good question. And so, you know what, is it a sign of addiction? Well, I don't know because, you know, I don't know your, your I don't know you, but any one of you. But what I would say to that question is, if one turns to substances during bouts of anxiety or depression, I would say that that would not be helpful to your situation because all substances do are, um, well, they do lots of things as we know. Um, mostly they don't, well, they don't help. So I would look at it more as like a maladaptive coping skill, um, if that makes sense. So it's a non-productive coping technique to manage anxiety and or depression. Um, I think that would be my, if you will, you know, generic response to that. Um, um, some things to look out to, I mean, the, the fact 
the fact that you're asking that whoever asked the question, the fact that this question is being asked is really good because um, it means that one is thinking about what one does. So A, one has awareness and with awareness change can come about. Um, I would look at the frequency that you're using. Um, you know, if you, if you need more of the substance to obtain whatever high one is trying to achieve. Um, and you know, you can do like this little exercise. And I used to, when my younger daughter used to call me up, um, I think it was Milan, but you know, so if you're feeling really, really, really anxious, and I can identify with that feeling because I um, grew up in a highly anxious household, so it's kind of contagious. In the, in the fact that it was a learned behavior. Um, but I would wonder what it would look like if, the, say, the next time you felt anxious, you sat with your feelings and waited, you know, and then made a decision about whether or not you got through that kind of time and space, you know, without um, the use of a substance that would alter your thoughts and feelings around mm. your anxiety and depression. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And it's so hard. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yo. It's a good question because... It's really good. For me, what that question says is, am I an addict? You know what I mean? Like, mm. But no, but, but like, is there, like... No. For me, this is how I'm answering it. This is how I'm answering it. Oh, it's about you now? Okay, go. Yeah, it's about me. It's sober, baby. But what I'm saying is, like... I think I spent so long, honestly, I did not know I was an alcoholic until I got sober. Like, it never once crossed my mind. Only when Milan got sober did I think, like, did I realize that I had a problem. Mm -hmm. um, so I never was like, does this make me an addict? Does this make me an addict when I was in active addiction? But when I got sober, retroactively, I was trying to, like, negate myself and um, and almost, like, remove myself from what qualified as an addict. And... I think I, there's just so much gray area, and this is something that Allie brought up last week, um, or at least maybe we, if we didn't bring it up, we talked about it outside of Sober Baby, um, is this idea of like a black and white definition of what constitutes an addict. It's like you're either an addict or you're not because you do this amount of stuff or this things, and for me, it's like so not black and white, right? Um, it's not black and white at all, you know what I mean? Like, for me... If it were, I could just convince myself right out of being an alcoholic, you know, because I didn't binge drink and I didn't have a ton of alcohol, but it's not about the quantities of consumption or even the frequency for me. I know you said frequency, but it was about what it did to me. It's about what it does to me, to be honest, you know, um, and that, that is eventually what kind of tipped the scales for me in, in like in my understanding of, of my kind of addiction and alcoholism is like, it's not about how often I drink. It's not about how much I drink because I could go some time without drinking. Right. But it was about what happened to me when I did drink one glass or not, usually not one. Cause what's the point of drinking one glass of alcohol? My next question from our lovely host of guests is also like, yeah, I don't know. It's just so crazy that you're a therapist and, like, you're also my mom. And, like, it's just crazy. Mm, okay. Um, 
like, I don't know. I was thinking about it. I'm like, maybe you became a therapist and maybe me and Milan, like, are alcoholics and addicts because it's like there's this beautiful, like, maybe you're, like, uniquely equipped to, like, support us in a weird way. Hmm. That's a philosophical discussion. Okay. Um, is there a successful alternative to medication for mental health? A successful? Is that Let's pick apart that word for a second. Is there a successful alternative to medication for mental health? Okay. I, I mean, I do believe so. Um, so I guess I'm interpreting medication as like psychotropic medication. I think that's how I'm reading it. So, um, yeah, I think there are a lot of alternatives, um, a, a lot of alternative treatments for mental health, you know, and I'm just like, I'm thinking of like five right now. I'm thinking, you know, I mean, for me, exercise is my go-to, but definitely exercise, um, you know, mindfulness, yoga. Um, there are lots of alternative plants and herbs um, that are helpful for managing one's mood, if you will. Um, again, I'm not a medical doctor, so you would definitely have to consult with a, um, I guess, uh, I don't know, a naturopath. Um, you know, I know lavender is really helpful. I have lavender oil on my nightstand, and it, you know, helps to reduce anxiety. But but I, th I don't know if you're asking it more on a global level. Um, I think there are many um, small pieces that one can do to assist with one's mental health mm. that doesn't involve medication. And I work with many, many people that choose not to take psychotropic drugs. And I would, the only feedback I have mm. about that is I totally support that way of, of living. Um, the treatment is slower, but that's okay because it, I think it's more genuine, it's more real. Um, and but it's also, and like, it's raw. some people really need medication, and we oh, are yeah, here totally. for that. Like, yeah. we are here for all of y'all taking your medication. Oh, yeah. I'm a, yeah, I'm a bit, but I'm a, what I meant was I'm a fan of people that don't believe that it's right for them. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yes. support, I support either way. Totally. Yeah. We are full, in full support. I don't take medication for my ADHD, and I know that now there are non-stimulant ADHD there medications. Is, there, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But, like, my ADHD is kind of crazy, right? It's very, it's sometimes, it's really difficult some days, but my response to this question, not that you're asking me this, um, is that, yeah, there are lots of al alternatives to medication. It's just about what mm -hmm. works for you. For some people, all the alternatives don't work and the medication is what works, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, what I would say is do a DNA test. Um, I was just going to say like, for me, a lot of my spiritual practice is what, um, is what helps me address my, mm -hmm. like, varying degrees of neurodivergence, you know? Um, meditation, exercise, uh, constant hydration, like, constant hydration, mm -hmm. and all, the, like, very just basic kind of regulatory function, um, functioning, like... Healthy eating... Yeah, I've heard you're not supposed to have, like, red dye if you have ADHD or, like, a ton of sugar, which for me, I eat sugar every day, so I should really cut that back. But there are lots of alternatives to medication, um, and a lot of them are kind of, like, behavioral approaches or spiritual approaches. Mm -hmm. Some people use religion. Some people mm -hmm. use um, psychedelic drugs and, like, mind-enhancing, mind-bending drugs. You know, like, there's lots of different things. So, yeah, I think it's about what's right for you coffee probably shouldn't have as much coffee as I do let's be honest I only have like one a day but still um that's something that I would say but yeah 
Yeah, I just abused all the prescriptions I ever had. Okay. Do you struggle when I say stuff like that on Sober Baby? No, I just breathe it out. Is it because it makes you uncomfortable? That, like, no, that because every, every episode that I watch, I find out something new. I'm like, well, damn, where was I? Oh, I mean, you were there the whole time. Okay, so I didn't see it. Yeah, but you know that. It was so hidden. Like, I hid that so much. Not really, because I found, like, stuff in your drawers. You found, like, a pipe. Did you find more than that? Pot. Um, Whoops. I don't know what else. I don't know. I mean... I was just like, I can't show any of this. I'm the older child. Like, I need to be perfect. Even though you never put that pressure on me. Well, I'm kind of like that in some things in my life. I mean, it's the truth. I think, like, what is so strange and wonderful about Sober Baby is that it's real. You know? Mm-hmm. Is this personal? I don't know, but let's do it. I think it's a it? perfect, yeah, I think it's a perfect segue into what we were just talking about. The little uncomfy, uncomfiness that you have when you find out new stuff about me on Sober Baby. No, but it only it's only for a second, and then I'm going to forget about it tomorrow because I'm almost 56, so don't worry about it. Okay, great. I won't. <laughs> How do you learn to open your mind to the experiences of your children and accept things that you don't necessarily believe in? Ooh, that's a good one. How Serenity you, prayer. It works every time for me. <laughs> How do you learn to open your mind? I don't have children. How do you learn to open your mind to the experiences of your children? Like maybe things things. that they don't agree with or understand? Yeah. You're so accepting of me, so it's very, it's like, I'm very lucky to have a mom who's like totally cool with me being, you know, open about being sober and queer and, you know, all that stuff. Like, you've been so loving and you know, supportive of me being an artist and, Mm -hmm. and then there's obviously like the kind of parenting moment where you're like, you know, let's make sure we have, you know, certain things kind of organized and, you know, we're able to support ourselves. Like there's, I think you and dad have balanced really well. You just let us be who we are, which is Mm -hmm. really crazy to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we answer that directly? Yeah, I'm trying to. No, that's okay. How do you learn to be, open your mind? So how do you learn to open your mind? So to the experiences of your children, how do you learn to accept your children? For who they are. How did you learn to accept me for who I was in Milan? You know, I, I mean, I, I don't know. You're my children, so I would naturally accept you um, no matter what unless you committed. Well, no, even if, even okay, I don't even want to talk about that piece. I think it just has to be with kind of like, can you make efforts to listen to that person and help you to, to help you understand, like, whatever it is that they're going through um, or you're having a challenging time accepting, you know, I think it's always a good time to look to oneself. So, like, for example, um, when Marina or Milan gets another tattoo, I have this moment where my whole body cringes and I'm like, you know, I do my whole whatever. I'm not going to swear on the show, but... um, Did you see the one on my neck? I'm like, fuck! (laughs) I want to see it. Here, look at it. No. Okay, that one's good right there. Put your hair down. <laughs> so anyways, I have that kind of moment, but that because I don't I like I don't want my kids drawing on their bodies, but that's not for me to judge. Um, so I just try to be open to the possibility that they're an individual and I need to respect that. 
I don't know. Like, that's a really, really hard question. I think, I think opening up your, your mind and your heart and being present and being authentic and, um, well, maybe, and I don't know if you want to want to talk about this, but I feel like much of your parenting as I would assume, but like so much of our, our potential parenting styles come from the parenting that we had. You know what I mean? Well, in that my mother had and her mother had, they all get trickled down and then yeah. all of a sudden you have this pile of shit when you're born. And it's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nailed it. No, actually that was kind of a... I mean, a, I feel like... That was a play on pregnancy if, if you've ever delivered a baby, so... Okay. Ew. Today I don't want to have a baby. But Me I guess neither. I'm just thinking about how like... You and dad were so accepting and loving of me and Milan that when mm. I meet, you know, some of my closest friends um, didn't have that experience with their parents and their parents reject them for their identity, whatever that is, right? Or, you know, um, uh, my friend who was on the show, you know, two times ago, uh, Moishe was talking about how, you know, they don't speak with their parents. And, like, I'm really grateful that... We have our differences, obviously, but it's not, it's not like, well, we're different people, obviously. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, well, that's a good thing, unless we'd be really boring together. <laughs> I just, I feel like I, I really struggle with my friend's parents who don't accept them. Like, those are people I need to serenity prayer over. You know, those are people I need to take a deep breath in the bathroom over because I'm like, yo, like, why aren't you accepting your child? All you need to do is love them. Like, what is the deal? Like, it actually just infuriates me when parents don't accept their children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it makes me want to just scream. It really, like, I, like, think violent stuff. I am just, like, this is deeply angering. Because in some sense, I've never had that experience of immense rejection. You've always just been like, sure, you came on with your hair dyed, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you're just going to go through high school with that orange head of hair. And, like... There were consequences, but there wasn't like... But they were natural consequences. You never called me names. You never said I couldn't be something. And part of that is like privilege, right? Like we can acknowledge that. Well, because I was educated about parenting. And the other part is like... But but at the same time, you know, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You ended up with two alcoholic kids. And and, and and so I'm okay with that, and I tell everybody, so I don't care because I just don't care. I know. I'm glad that they're not alcoholics, and that's what I focus on. Yeah, we're not active anymore. Um, Someone asked, does Pam think, we also only have eight minutes left, and I'm really glad that people Nobody are. Nobody got to, uh, do you bring people like on, like like in face, like in Zoom? No, it's just your face and my oh, face. Oh, I know. it'd be nice to see people's faces. All I right. know. Well, we could always do a Zoom, a Zoom room with Pammy if you guys ever wanted. Um, mm-hmm. Someone asked, does Pam think people can have, quote, healthy addictions? Um... They're kind of opposites. Isn't that kind of funny? Like, yeah, an addiction is not healthy. So, I mean, I guess the question would be, you know, because there are different types of addictions, and I hope I don't get this wrong, but there are like, um, what is it, behavioral addictions? And I was going to look this up last oh, night. Oh, in the DSM? Yeah, I think they're like behavioral addictions, which would be like um, gambling, porn, that kind of stuff. Um, and then and there's then, eating disorders? Then there's, no, and then there's oh. the substance um, piece so of So is an eating addiction. disorder a behavioral addiction? It's so weird. I've read through all the definitions of... I want to see the question again. Oh, okay, okay. The question is... 
Do you think that people can have healthy addictions? Okay, so I mean, you know, I guess what what would it be? I mean, are you a, are you a track runner and you're training for something? I mean, I think everything is good as long as um, you know. I mean, people talk about moderation, right? So what what is your addiction? I mean, if you're playing video games 13 hours a day, no, that's not healthy. Um, if you're exercising 13 hours a day, it's absolutely not healthy. But I think I, I don't know if you use the word interchangeably addiction with like. A habit, habit that you form. Yeah. Because, like, I exercise most days, right? Is that an addiction? Um, well, it's the way that I manage, you know, my stuff, totally. right? I kind of, like, get rid of it. Um, so, for me, it's a it's a permanent habit that I've had since I was little and I'll have for the rest of my life until I can't walk or move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't really know moderation, to be honest. Like, it's taken me... I've had to learn moderation with some things. Like, exercising, I've had to learn moderation. Food stuff, I've had to learn moderation. Some stuff, it was like, why would I want to moderate it? Alcohol, it's like, why would I ever want to only have one, you know? So, I think this idea... What? You like my hair? I was seeing whose curl felt better. Whose curl feels better? Yours. Because <laughs> mine isn't 56-year-old curl. <laughs> my hair got done. Your hair got done right before the show. And my hair got done yesterday. <laughs> what I would say is, I don't know if there are healthy addictions, but I think that um, the things that I've learned in reference to being an addict, like the things that I've learned because I've had eating disorders like those, those other coping mechanisms and self-soothing and stuff, like those are healthy. I don't think, I don't know if there's a healthy addiction. I feel like it's, it's an oxymoron. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a couple minutes left of the show and I just want to honor everyone who's been here and who's stuck with this slightly frenetic uh, episode. Lucy show? Yeah, basically the Lucy show. I think it's so funny yeah, that maybe. our hair is the same also, but remember guys, I'm a rock and roll mom. Um, Okay. Seven healthy addictions it's okay to have. Who is even writing that, though? It's just woman's talk. I was just showing you that. I was looking it up. We don't want that one. I mean, I just... I think it's a really important question, right? Because it's like, if you're asking... Okay, so I understand. What? No, like, like a healthy addiction. So, like, for example, the way that one eats, you know, that can be a healthy thing. I don't think that's an addiction, though. Well, um... It's a lifestyle, so I don't, I don't, I don't know how. I would say, I would say, I don't, I don't know of any healthy addi- addictions offhand. Um, if you were a former um, substance user, and then you've replaced it with like listening to music and then taking a a, um, a walk and having this routine, that can be addictive in a sense. But it's, I would say, that would be positive. Um, I think like drawing lines around what addiction is and yeah. where it merges from you know, habit to addiction or, um, it's very gray. Like it's actually very gray. And I think the DSM tries really hard to set these kind of hard boundaries, um, around what constitutes addiction and what constitutes in the other versions of the DSM, it was like substance use disorder versus like substance abuse. And like there, it would, it was like this scale, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think substance misuse is, is on a spectrum. You know, you have a full-blown addict, and you have, you know, somebody that, you know, I don't know. I think for it's just a time thing. It's like, did they just get there yet? But yeah. I would say, like, in terms of, yeah, what I'm seeing in the chat, like, collecting, turning into hoarding. Like, I think the question around, oh yeah, you know, if something, and I think anything can be an addiction, because I think addiction most of the time kind of stems from within, 
there are things that are addictive, right? We know that meth is really addictive. Coffee. We know coffee's addictive. We know nicotine's addictive. Certain things feel good, so then they might be want to be used a lot. You know, sex feels really good. Uh, exercise feels really good. Eating chocolate feels so good. You know what I mean? And then there's just stuff that also feels good, but in a less bodily way, collecting as an example, you know? Um, so I don't know. I think anything can be an addiction and the only person that can really tell you if it's a problem is you, you know, that's the rough part of it. Cause one therapist could diagnose you as an addict. The other could diagnose you as someone mm-hmm. who has borderline personality disorder. The other one, you know, it's just like, if you're looking for answers, like you have the answers they're within. That's what I got. What do you got? No, I was trying to find something, um, but I couldn't find it. That's okay. Um, this has been a lovely hour with you. With you. Thanks and for me. being here. And me. And, and you, you. And you. And you. Um, we're going to include all of the different things that you talked about in Well, that one chat. link. That one link. And I didn't get to answer some other questions. So, um, you know, if... Like, there was one on grief that somebody had asked um, that I didn't have an opportunity to speak about. So, Marina can give them my phone number, and I can call, or we can just email. Mm. That's such a nice offer. Okay. Yeah, an hour is a really short amount of time. So, I just want to say thanks for being here. I love you. Love you. Um, And thanks, everyone, for joining us on on this week's episode of Sober Baby with my mom and mental health. Wait, I'm not ready. Keep on talking. Okay, well... And, and mental health professional, Pam, what are you doing? Trying to get this Eiffel Tower to sparkle. It's not working. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I bought this off the street. Wait, there was a twinkle there. You got it? <laughs> Wait, it works sometimes. There, it's working. All right, everyone. Au revoir. Oh, snap. It kind of gives off a little spark. Yeah, don't touch it. Au revoir. What season was this? What what number? Sower Baby Season 2, Episode 8. Episode 8. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks. Hey, this is Marina, the host and creator of Sober Baby. Hang out until after the credits for cringy and cute selections from behind the scenes. To listen to all of our episodes, watch the live show each week, and to support Sober Baby, head to our link tree. L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E backslash Sober Baby. Thank you to all of our patrons for helping make this show possible. My college cutie Miranda DeMaze Nordling for music direction, curation, and licensing through Now Again Records. Queen of Crochet, Jenny Alpa for audio engineering. My partner Danny Vargas for the endless support and love. And all of the Sober Babies out there because without you, this doesn't happen. No, no, I like it better the other way. I know you do. I know you do. Okay, are you ready? Oh my god, I'm so, 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 so. Don't be nervous. Wait, I need a pen. Can you, can you get me a Don't pen, be nervous. Danny, in case people have questions? <laughs>